0: Hi, I'm Anna, and welcome to the "It's Going to Be Good" podcast, where Jill and I talk about how to build your accounting firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable, so you can focus on doing meaningful work with exceptional people. Uh, and one of the things I realized in in our podcast is that we never just ask each other how we're doing. Yeah, so, I already saw you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
1: like, but just like, how you doing today? Yeah. I'm doing okay. I uh, I had a really long week, but I'm feeling finally like today, a bunch of the stuff that needed to get done is finally getting done. So it's a long week to only feel productive on Friday, but I'm feeling good about starting the week feeling like I've actually got my feet under me again. That's the best. That's- uh, how about
0: you? Um, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling pretty good this week. I uh, I spent some time last weekend making my background in my office prettier, uh, which is so you can see it. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna talk I'm just about trying to make it sound
1: normal. <laughs>
0: no one can see, but like I full on turned on my Zoom like camera and then hung things, looking at my computer just to see how it would look. In the shot. So everything is, is genius. So that it will look good in the background. I feel like such a dork, but it looks great. So I'm pumped. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, today we are going to be talking about the flip side of the podcast we last did about building a collaborative team. Now we're going to talk about what it looks like when you end up with an unhealthy, dysfunctional team. And I think no one really sets out to build an unhealthy, dysfunctional mm-hmm. team. So I this is really helpful because most of the ways that, that we get into some of those habits are just through a lack of awareness, a lack of intention. It's not like we want to build a team where like people don't talk or trust or collaborate or all the kinds of things that lead to a healthy team, but without being aware of some of the traps that can lead to that, we can do it on accident like so easily
1: so easily
0: And and I think we tend to focus on like strategy and numbers and and all the like smart ways of businessing. But the reality is if you don't have a healthy functional team around you, it will be so much harder to effectively execute on any strategy. It is like pushing that boulder uphill. And so we wanted to talk about specifically uh, the five dysfunctions of a team. This comes from a book uh, by Pat Lencioni, which we'll link uh, in the podcast. Um, But Jill, you want to just quickly highlight what those five dysfunctions are, and then we're going to kind of dive into where we see a lot of those in action.
1: Yeah. So this book is really fantastic because it's like a narrative. It's a, it's a parable, I think they call it, um, which is so fun because when's the last time you heard that word? Um, but they're, they're parallels for these five dysfunctions and they tell it like it's a real story that these people are like living out. And so it makes it really tangible for you to understand what we're talking about in the book uh, quite easily, which is Great. I love a book that's easy to understand. And Pat does a great job with that. But, uh, the five dysfunctions of a team are absence of trust, fear of conflict, very common, uh, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability and inattention to results, which I think are so interesting because they kind of build on each other. Um, it, it really does start with that foundational trust. So, um, and I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts on like what it looks like when this is missing, when when trust is absent. What what are we looking at in a firm? Like how do you, how do you know that's what's going on? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a big old bummer. Is <laughs> how you mm-hmm. know what's going on. In fact, in those five dysfunctions, I think there's there's some graphics of them, like a pyramid. An absence of trust is the one at the bottom because it is so oh, foundational. Yes. So I think when when trust is missing. We spend a lot more time and effort in checking on things. We spend a lot more time and effort to try to do anything. You like are starting from this place of, I have to be so careful with my words. I have to be so careful to not offend anyone. Like you're assuming that no one is giving each other the benefit of the doubt. So everyone is kind of on guard. And so you can just Feel the conversations tend to be very stilted, 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 whatever the word is. Um, I actually don't know. <laughs> Great, I don't know. Awkward, awkward AF conversations um, because yeah. you can just feel this like lack of being able to get real. And so Mm -hmm. everyone's just very carefully choosing words. Everyone's like, you can almost feel everyone with their arm out kind of going, I'm not going any closer than than this. And Mm -hmm. and so it's just, it's, it's hard to really make progress when you're not sure whether you and the person you're talking to are even on the same page and you don't feel comfortable just be like, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like, does this make any sense? Because that would already be too much openness. So Mm -hmm. I think a lack of openness is, is definitely the place to start. Like what, what else are you seeing when, when you, when you don't feel like there's trust?
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard to pass stuff off when there isn't trust. So you you tend to or we tend, to, I think as just humans, to keep stuff close to us that we don't feel comfortable someone for someone else to take over, but that just means we keep a lot more stuff on our plates and it's often the wrong kind of stuff because it's you know, it's the stuff that makes you feel vulnerable. It's not necessarily the thing that you are best at or the thing that you can add the most value in. Someone can do payroll that isn't the owner of a company. But if that's real tight to your vest, like you're not going to share that with someone and you're going to end up spending a lot of time doing something like running payroll for your company. And it's just not a good use of your time as a leader but it feels unsafe to pass it off when you don't trust people. So there's there's a lot more stuff you'll keep on your plate when you really don't feel like you can trust anyone on your team or trust them to do that kind of work or, oh, you know, I trust them, just not with that. And it's like, well, then that's on you, then you, you're going to keep that. And so that's the choice you're making, which is totally a choice that's on the table, but it just means you're going to spend a lot more time doing really mundane tasks. Um, and I think in addition to that, like it's hard to be, honest when things are or aren't working. Like it's hard to give that feedback when you're experiencing issues with a team member or with a client or something, and you don't have trust as a foundational um, element built into your relationship. You're you're really hesitant to tell them bad news or tell them that it's not working or give them the feedback about what you do need instead. You're just going to kind of avoid that conversation because you already don't trust them. So why would you trust them with your input? Why would you trust them with your feedback? So I I think that's a lot of it. Um, It's also really hard to hire and fire, but hire when you work in a firm that doesn't have foundational trust built. Like if you, if you have a team that is dysfunctional or you have a team that just really doesn't trust each other or trust you or trust your clients even. like I think it goes every direction. It is so hard to bring new people into that team. And it's really awkward to let people go. It's really awkward to let them go in that environment. That lack of trust means you are much more vulnerable to you know, a a lawsuit. It it makes you so vulnerable to that liability in a way that's like really unhelpful because not only is it more challenging to hire and replace that person, and not only is it real awkward to fire that person, but on top of that, you didn't actually get very much progress done because you spent all of your time not trusting them and doing other stuff that wasn't worth your time to make sure that they were doing a bad job. And here we are firing you. (laughs) So like, it's just all the time suck if that's where you end you didn't get anything done in that so it, it's really tough you will go slower in the absence of trust always like that strategy is really hard to implement if it's all you because you're just carrying that whole burden of moving the company forward if you don't trust your team so yeah. it's there's a there's a lot of that.
0: Well, I think the irony of that is that the whole idea in there is like when there's an absence of trust, we're unwilling to be vulnerable. But that unwillingness to be vulnerable makes us more vulnerable. It makes the yes. those team members turn into liabilities because we treated them that way. But when yeah. you're actually willing to be vulnerable, then like you can have some honest conversations. So I think that the way to either, you know, not have trust, not build trust or actually erode trust is being unwilling to be honest, being unwilling to say I made a mistake, being unwilling to say I don't know how to do this. You know, being mm. willing to say I might be wrong. Like <laughs> or even I am wrong. Um it, When people are unwilling to say those kinds of things, you can immediately tell there's no trust built there. And Mm -hmm. I think that the key to building that trust is that has to start with a leader. Your team will follow your lead. So if you're mm. not willing to say, I made a mistake, if you're not willing to say, I don't know the answer to this question, if you're not willing to say, I could be wrong here, no one else will. In fact, there's a lot of examples in, in the book or in, um, in other podcasts that they've done where you know, they're, they're trying to encourage some vulnerability within a team. And then the CEO is unwilling to be vulnerable. And that immediately stops. Like the 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 trust being built, the openness happening. Once that CEO is unwilling to do it, everyone else goes. Got it. I'm not safe here. Like so, yeah. I'm not gonna be the sucker that was trusting,
1: it's open when and no one else
0: was.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and I think you know, I there's this phrase uh, that I've heard for years that is culture is built top down it is it is made from the top and and that's the burden of leadership in a in a company is you are responsible for creating the culture but what you permit you promote and so if you permit yourself to be untrusting if you permit your team to be untrusting that's going to be the status quo that's going to be the new norm and everyone will operate that way because that's how you've built it and so i i think there's a lot to be said about about being a Aware of this idea just in general, like even literally just the awareness of it makes you think critically about the way that you operate. So like when you're redoing someone's work and you're not willing to give them the feedback, who is that for? Is, is the goal for us to get the right financials out? Is the goal for us to develop a team that makes our firm sustainable and make sure that they can serve our clients so I can go on vacation? Like, What is the goal here? Because if the goal is to build a collaborative team or to to equip people to do their jobs excellently, there is absolutely no benefit to you except avoiding discomfort if you don't give that feedback. If you just fix it and move on with your life, you rob that person of the opportunity to learn. But that erodes trust. It really does. Because if you're not willing to take the extra time to help me develop my skills, you're just going to fix it for me because you can't even be bothered. How are we partnering? How are we working together? How am I even being developed? Am I? (laughs) Or should I just go somewhere else where I'm actually going to get some input from someone, where I'm actually going to get some feedback? I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed who have said, oh, feedback sounds great. I would love that. Like when I talk about the way that we do feedback at our company, Most people are excited about that. Now, whether or not they actually can hang in that environment is a totally different conversation, but like, it sounds exciting to know where you stand and to not wonder to any team member. And so when we make people wonder, we really erode trust quickly. That is so convicting
0: for me because I definitely, that I, I think, especially before you started, that was absolutely my habit. I would go in and fix something for someone and probably not tell them because I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'll just, I'll just fix it real quick. Or, or I could justify it by it just being my preference. But I think the reality of that is I wanted to be the hero that swooped in to save the day. And if I mm-hmm. actually stopped to develop that person, they might become the hero. And then I wouldn't be anymore. And so it's Mm. so hard to stop yourself from just wanting to swoop in and be the wizard who knows how to do all the special things. Like it's that, that shift in going, I am going to be willing to share what I know to be generous with that because that trust that I'm extending will mean other people can do things. And it's not all on my shoulders. If you're the hero that swoops in to save the day, then you always have to swoop in and save the day. And you don't get to take vacation. like heroes who wear capes don't take vacations.
1: Like that not- don't wear capes. Don't wear it. Don't take vacations. Yes. like It doesn't even matter if you've got the cape or not. If you're the hero of the story, you're always on call. Yes. It stinks. It's a crummy job.
0: <laughs> but I think it's also it takes more time. And so mm-hmm. it it is something that's hard to to balance when you're just trying to get stuff done. Um, the other thing I think that really erodes trust is when we talk about people and we don't talk to people. Um, yes. And sometimes in management, you do need to have a conversation about a team member with another manager. Like you, you need some input from someone. Hey, here's a behavior I'm seeing. Like, it, should I give them some feedback? How should I approach that? You know, like we we definitely have times where it might make sense to talk about someone to get the right input so that you can approach that well. But when this goes badly is there's no intention of talking to that person. It's just Mm -hmm. talking about them. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, them, gosh, they're the worst, you know? And, and so as soon as someone is willing to do that with me, I immediately know I can't trust you because if you're doing that about someone to me, then there's nothing to guarantee you're not doing this about me to someone else so Absolutely. i'm going to be much more careful with what i share with you i'm going to be much more careful with how close i get to you if i know that you're going to you know talk about people behind their back like i don't actually think i'm so great that you could never find anything to <laughs> say about me behind my back So, so that is an easy way to erode trust is, is talking about other people instead of talking to them. So one of the things you used to say is, are you going to tell them or am I, because one of us needs to. And I think that's so helpful because it, it automatically like sets the tone of the conversation of whatever we're talking about here is going to get communicated with that person. So who, who's going to do it because this is too important to talk to that person about? We're not going to just leave this here behind their back. The reverse is a hilarious quote of like, no, I'm not going to tell them to their face. I'm just going to talk about them behind their back like a normal person, um, <laughs> which is hilarious and not healthy, it turns out.
1: <laughs> Turns out through years, years of unlearning this, turns out not a great way to connect. (laughs) Not, not really. So, okay. So we've already
0: eroded all the trust. Uh, We've already made sure we don't trust each other. What's the second way to make sure (laughs) that we can build an unhealthy, dysfunctional team?
1: This one is near and dear to my heart because I think conflict can be so helpful and so productive. And when there is a fear of conflict, you stunt growth so fast and you stunt development. You you just like break the whole thing down. And so when healthy conflict is missing, we are usually trying to make ourselves feel better and or make someone else feel better. Like, I don't want to tell you this bad news, but that's not really about how it makes you feel because if you need the feedback, you need the feedback. I don't want to make you feel bad because that'll make me feel bad. And so I think the theme throughout all of these is I prioritize my comfort over the right thing. And that is not right. So like, I think a lot of times, like we will Avoid being just having the uncomfortable conversation because we're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. We're afraid of them quitting, like or hurting yes. their feelings. And so like they just want to bounce and, and then we're out a team member. Like there's a lot of fear motivation for that, but it's really self preservation fear for the most part. Um yeah, it's just it's about feeling uncomfortable. It's not about the other person. And as soon as it starts to be about me that I'm self protecting and not about helping the other person grow, it's just a problem and it needs to get flipped. Um, But I think that healthy conflict requires trust. And so in the absence of trust, there is likely an absence of conflict. So if I don't trust you that we can have this hard conversation, I'm not going to have that hard conversation, which means we're not going to have the conflict, which means we're probably not going to end at the right answer. So we're just going to keep assuming that whatever the what is it hippo the highest, highest earning person highest opinion. paid person's opinion yeah yeah highest paid person's opinion wins and and that can function if that's the business model you have but if you're looking to do the right thing and not just your thing it's going to be a different process. And it's going to be really hard to, to restore that trust that necessitates conflict. Um, but it's possible. I've, I've definitely seen it. It's It's not insurmountable. I have seen teams come together, engage in conflict, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and move through unlearning conflict avoidance habits and relearn how to just have the conversation out of care. Because conflict is just friction. It doesn't mean we're fighting. Those are different things. I don't like fighting. I like conflict that helps us arrive at a good place, that helps us reach peace, that helps us understand each other better, that helps us arrive at the right idea. Like the goal has to be really front and center. It can't be about me and it can't be about you. It's got to be about the goal. So what are we trying to accomplish here? I think is the question we have to keep asking in like every conversation that has any amount of friction in it. What else do you see? Well,
0: I think fear of conflict is near and dear to my heart because I absolutely did avoid conflict. <laughs> I think I had the opposite bend of you when when we started working together, whereas you were like, healthy conflict is great. And I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> what now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> um, you said conflict and that one's uncomfortable and I don't like it. <laughs> It doesn't make me feel good. Um, and and I I very much had the bend of wanting to avoid conflict. And I think what I learned and what I've been learning over the last three years is that it's not helpful. And when you avoid conflict, the conflict only grows. And when you finally have to deal with it, it is so much worse than if you had just dealt with it when it was small and manageable. And so I I have all of those same fears. Those are all of the same reasons why I avoided it. I also avoided it because, you know, there there are people that that will show up in conflict and be defensive. They will they will get upset at you. Like so, some of that not wanting to hurt someone's feelings is a learned behavior because if you try to engage in conflict, people will emote back at you. And that will be depending on, you know, wherever their bend is, whatever their tolerance for conflict is, how you position it. If you don't have a lot of reps in at doing healthy conflict, you probably (laughs) do it badly. And then they respond in kind. And so no yeah. one really knows how to do it effectively. So then we avoid it even more because it's like, I had a bad experience.
1: <laughs> Damn it. I'm deaf. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. And I think like the the other person's response is not unimportant. Like it affects you and you, but we have to remember that this is a muscle. You can't just go run a marathon and be cool the next day. You have to get the reps in to be good at it. And so it requires practice, which is the hardest part of it because you practice when you're bad to get better, but you still got to practice while you're bad at it. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, you know, some of the things that helped us or- maybe not helped. That's the wrong word. A lot of the things that made us not want to do this was those, that defensiveness or someone blowing up or someone like fear of someone resigning or fear of, you know, this, this actual problem. Like this isn't just the end of, of this conversation, like how you respond matters. And so if you can't regulate your emotions in that meeting, if you're emoting at me and trying to make me regulate your emotions for you, we're not going to end at a place that's peaceful we're not going to end at the right place we're going to have a really awkward conversation that just continues to be awkward but like right. these responses are data points for us as humans and they they're the primary reason why we avoid conflict but you got to get the data points in on the other end of that spectrum because conflict can be really helpful and really beneficial and it, like when we debate ideas, we come to conclusions that are really interesting and dynamic and really well thought out. But without that conflict piece, we cannot arrive there. We're just going to go with the idea that it was first laid out as. So like it well, just for really, feedback.
0: Like if, you know, yeah. if you are never willing to have an honest conversation with someone about their performance, then they might be doing a terrible job and not even know it. You know, so how could they possibly improve if they don't even know what they're doing wrong because you're so unwilling to hurt their feelings that you won't let them know where their growth areas are so that they could actually work on them. But I think all of the fear of conflict um, is really, it's the same thing as vulnerability. It has to be modeled by you. The, yeah. the willingness to enter conflict, w- learning how to regulate your own emotions and conflict. Some of the phrases that we've you know w- picked up here and there and, and tell ourselves are things like, I want to be the lowest heart rate in the room. So I want to be the person that's modeling how to do this in a way that's not letting the emotions take center stage away from the idea and the thing that we're trying to accomplish through this conflict. It's not that you won't have the feelings. It's that those aren't going to be the primary focus. And if you can regulate your own emotions and model that, it will help in you not trying to regulate the other person's emotions for them. And so you're softening what you say because it's making them upset or you're not being honest because they started to get mad or you don't ever actually accomplish the thing. So now you had really ineffective conflict that doesn't actually accomplish the result, but everyone still had all the feelings and you're probably not going to do that again. So Mm -hmm. it's really (laughs) that same thing. All of these are the skills that we have to work on first in ourselves. It has been so hard for me. This one, I think, especially, I think I, I can trust sometimes to a fault, although I do try to, you know, be smart about it and, and learn from that. But I think the conflict one was definitely the thing that, that I would avoid because I like people to like me, uh, Mm. maybe a little too thirsty for that, but I really like it when people like me. And so I don't want to say things that will make someone not like me But then again, it's making everything about me. And the whole point of conflict is that we get to an end result where everyone is better. Either we're accomplishing a goal and so we need to debate and decide an idea or I'm giving you feedback so you actually have the opportunity to improve or, you know, we're having a hard conversation about how you're showing up so that you have the opportunity to show up differently because you just are aware of it now. All of those things can't happen if we just avoid it. And we end up almost certainly, I mean, uh, talking about that fear of losing staff, you'll Mm -hmm. absolutely lose staff by never telling them where they can improve and by being unwilling to have a hard conversation with them. Like at some point they will leave anyway because they can't grow here. And so you will end up losing them by avoiding it, which you're trying to not do by avoiding it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty ironic. Well, and I think the way that we approach these kinds of conversations, whether we're collaborating about a project or an idea or giving like direct feedback or doing a coaching with a team member, we will seek first to understand always. Like I will I will start with questions and then I will dive into the feedback and I'm just going to shoot you straight. Because if I soften it to take care of your emotions, that I've stepped into a place that's not healthy or good for either of us. And I'm assuming a lot about how you're feeling. And it's just not the right distribution of responsibilities. We're both going to feel however we're going to feel. And all of that's okay. You can handle yours and I'll handle mine, but I'm going to seek first to understand. And then I'm going to shoot you straight. I'm going to just say the words that need to be said. And then afterwards we get to collaborate about it. And I get to say things like, that's my perspective, throw spears. Or poke holes in that idea or like push back, like give me some pushback on this because that'll help us wrestle with the idea or that'll help us come to the right conclusion or that'll help us come to a point where we kind of agree that we're talking about the same thing and we know which way we're going to pivot. Like there's just so much that can be gained from just shifting that conversation into collaboration. But the feedback has to be there for that to be effective. Otherwise, people don't know where they stand and they're going to just assume that they're doing great. We all think we're great at everything. Like we're uh, like – And How dare everything... you? We are
0: great at everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I think we all have a tendency as human beings to like overvalue our skill set. And so like how can you grow if you're just like, yeah and people are like, oh, not that one, but I'm not gonna tell you that. I'm just gonna That's, say it behind your back like a normal person. Like a normal. <laughs> no, but the, yeah. the
0: irony of that then is if someone shoots me straight, I trust them. Yes. And so by being willing to engage in that hard conflict, you build trust. And by avoiding it, you erode trust. And so all of these things build on each other, not just from the bottom up, but from the top down as well. Like if you aren't going to do conflict, I don't trust you because I assume that you're just saying everything's fine, but it might not even be fine. And I won't know. So how could I possibly trust you if you won't just tell me the truth? But Mm -hmm. sometimes telling the truth means that you're going to enter into conflict. And this is not when it's done, I I think especially for really tricky conversations for like personal feedback, we almost always will have a conversation about it because I I wanna know if I'm approaching this right. I wanna make sure that that this is worth saying, this is worth saying by me, and this is worth saying by me right now. Is this important enough? Do is this the right thing for us to be doing? So it's not like we're just, you know, who can I fight with today? It's not like how, no, I'm not can looking we for jump a fight? into more conflict? It's Gosh, just no. <laughs> the being willing to engage in it when it needs to happen almost certainly means you need less of it. And when you do it, it becomes less and less uncomfortable because just like, you know, running that marathon, you know, if you're running every day, if you're building up to that, then going for a light jog is like no big deal. But if you avoid conflict altogether, going for a light jog feels like running a marathon. Modern bookkeeping firms have a pretty robust tech stack. Between workflow management, communication, file storage, client apps, and of course QuickBooks, getting the month end close done can be a lot. Keeper wants to help you streamline the process and get it done in one place. By connecting your client's QuickBooks or Xero file to Keeper, you've got a powerful monthly review feature designed to help track inconsistencies, surface transactions that may not have gone to the right place, review for new payees or accounts, and a lot more. We use Keeper at Accru, and I personally love being able to review the P&L and balance sheet across months by payee, so I can easily see if something is missing or if there's something we may need to ask a client about. And to be honest, I feel like we are only scratching the surface of what all Keeper can do. To learn more about why Keeper is trusted by thousands of bookkeepers and accountants like us, check out Keeper.app and hang on to your calculators, folks, because we are happily offering you 20% off your first three months with Keeper. Just use the code GOOD20. That's good D two zero. Okay, so we we don't trust each other. We don't have any conflict. What's the next best way to build a dysfunctional team?
1: Lack of commitment. (laughs) <laughs> which in a hiring crisis feels terrible to talk about. So you go first, Anna. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think that um, I, I think when we don't commit, I, I think that all of these things build on one another. Okay. So I don't mm-hmm. trust you and we're not willing to tell each other to the truth. We're not willing to disagree. We're not willing to engage in that healthy conflict. So then If you're assigning something to me or we're agreeing on a project, like I'm if I don't trust you and I'm not willing to have conflict with you, I'm just going to say, yeah, sure, let's do that one. Um, But I'm not bought in like because Mm -hmm. I can't genuinely weigh into this then I'm not going to genuinely buy into it. But I don't trust you enough to say no. So I'll just say yes and agree to things I don't agree to. And then I probably won't do them. And then later when I didn't do it, I'll say, I'll use all the same tactics for you know avoiding conflict. I'll I'll get defensive, I'll talk about how that wasn't clear, I didn't understand what I was expected to do. And so it's just this lack of everyone actually coming together to to engage in something, to, you know, meet an objective, to do a project together, because we're not actually willing to like go all in on agreeing to this thing. So But do you see other areas where that lack of commitment like shakes out?
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the things is um, like things just don't get done well because no one's really invested in it. And I think this shows up when you have like multiple owners of a project. If everyone's the owner, no one's the owner. And so that's kind of the same idea is like that lack of commitment. If you're just kind of here to tick the box, like things aren't going to be done that well. We don't have trust. We don't have conflict. And now we don't have commitment. And so we're just really just clocking in and out. And that is not a functional or productive way to do business, in my opinion. If you work in a factory and that works for you, like, cool, you do you. But that is not how I want to live my life. I want to do work that's meaningful. And so that just feels like a a non-negotiable to me. So I think the other thing that happens often is that when you you know decide on a change, let's say that you pick a policy to implement and the team doesn't agree with it, then they're going to talk to each other about that. If they're not talking to you, they're not not talking to anyone. <laughs> they're just not talking to you. And they will talk to someone. And it, if you're lucky, it's just their spouse that hears their venting. But in all reality, if there's no trust and no conflict, then odds are good. They're talking to each other about it. And then you don't actually get commitment at the end. It creates silos and it it like really breeds office politics. And it's just super unhelpful and, and unproductive. Um, and I think the last thing that I'll highlight is and, and I've noticed this a lot with our team currently as it is, they ask really good questions, they challenge ideas, they'll push back. And what we get at the end of that is we get the best idea winning, not just my idea, but the best idea winning. And so When people don't do that on the flip side, we miss out on that idea and we miss out on that like different perspective. We miss out on those questions that could help us arrive at the right conclusion. And it's really frustrating to realize after the fact that someone saw something and just didn't speak up. Like it's real annoying. (laughs) Oh yeah, I thought that might happen, but I just didn't want to say anything. And it's like, what? Say something. (laughs) Say something next time, please.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I, and I think with that, um, you know, if someone didn't re isn't really invested in something like not only is there, you know, complaining, not only is there agreeing to things that, that they don't agree to the chances of that thing actually getting done, the chances of, of, of a project getting over the finish line when people are not committed to it, when they don't agree with it when they aren't bought into it when they you know don't feel like they got a chance to you know voice their concerns on what whatever it is maybe that timeline isn't working maybe you're trying to do too many things at once but you know you haven't demonstrated that you're open to input so people aren't going to be willing to give it so they'll just go yeah okay sure and then not do them And then you're going to find out later, no one did the thing that they all seemed kind of like they were going to do, but you're also not going to have conflict. So then it's just this weird cycle of like frustration because you're not engaging in the things that lead to everyone being on the same team you know, rowing in the same direction, like looking to accomplish the same goals together, it becomes this like, oh, well, that was your project. So we thought you were going to drive it. <laughs> and and it's like, oh, uh, and, and I can think back to some times where um, – I thought something was a great idea. Usually something bright and shiny and was (laughs) like, Hey everybody get pumped. Let's do this thing. And people were like, yeah, what if we don't though um, do this thing and just like, because we weren't yet in a place to to really have a forum for, okay, let's have an honest conversation. Okay. Pros and cons. Like, what are you guys seeing? Like, what would be the benefit of making this decision? You know, what, what would be hard for you guys? What would be a reasonable timeline? Like doing all those things, like in absence of that, if multiple people are saying, eh, like, I'm not going to like try to, brute force this forward. So then we just, you know, abandon projects. And then the next time you want to do a project, it's like, ah, here we go again. um And so you just get into this cycle of being really ineffective because you haven't built the trust. You haven't built the ability to collaborate and have conflict to then get people to really commit to be bought in to see something, you know, get completed. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it all in our connects, okay. Yeah. So we don't trust each other. We don't want to talk. We don't want to <laughs> talk and fight. We're definitely not committed to getting things done. Um, next up is then if we're not committed to getting anything done, we don't want any accountability about whether we got anything done for
1: sure. No, we do not. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a weird one because I think people are so different when it comes to accountability. Some people need it. Some people like it, some people don't like it, and some people hate it or won't or will reject it. Like, so it's, it's, there's some personality, there's some like temperament in it, but there's also like experience. So, what do you even mean by accountability? Like, and, and who? So, like, when there is a lack of account- accountability, I think things are not getting done well. Um, but you don't know that. Like you don't know that or you do, but because you spent time Digging into the data to figure out if they were doing a good job or not, because you don't trust them to. Like it's just a, it, you either don't know or you would spend too much time knowing, <laughs> um, because certainly no one's telling you that's for sure. Um, but I think as well, you don't know whether things are done, you don't know where things are at. You are checking with people, you're having to send a lot of messages, or having to do a lot of digging, and that also erodes trust. Um, if your team feels like you don't have a clear organization structure if you if your team feels like you can never find anything or you can never you know do your part because it's so unclear it starts to make everyone kind of look bad and and even to clients too i think too um And I think that what tends to happen in this phase, in this like accountability phase, is the top is reaching down for the information. So you're looking in your task management system or you're scanning emails or you're like diving into the QuickBooks file to figure out what happened instead of that person pushing that information up to you and we we call it managing up there's there's a term that is is pretty broadly used now that's called managing up and it's essentially like if i'm responsible for something then it's also my responsibility to tell people to tell decision makers to tell people that this relates to where I'm at, what I need. It's on me. The onus is on me to keep people in the loop. And so I'm going to push that information up, make sure I'm getting what I need, make sure they have what they need. But that's part of my responsibility. But when you don't have the trust and when you don't have the conflict and when you don't have the commitment and you're avoiding accountability, what you tend to do is try to figure it out for yourself. And it's super time consuming and it's super energy draining and it leads to resentment because you spent all that time and effort trying to get the information when you feel like they should just tell you. And it's like, yeah, but they won't unless you build it into your systems. (laughs) So it takes a lot of work to change it, but it's necessary if this is not what you want your firm to look like. Right. What else are you seeing in that
0: well, I think I think that's exactly right. So when you avoid accountability, then you have no structure for accountability. So accountability <laughs> only happens after someone did it wrong. And so accountability mm. is equated with getting your hand slapped. It's not yeah. actually equated with responsibility and ownership and pushing information up. It's not normalized. And so accountability only happens after you already didn't meet the expectations. Whether or not the expectations were even clear Whether or not that was actually, we actually took the time to to do that. So you get right back into that same cycle of, of blaming or justifying or being defensive or all of those kinds of things. When you can create a structure to just normalize accountability, then it becomes not a negative. It becomes neutral. Everyone is holding themselves accountable. Here's how we do that. And here's everyone's responsibility in accountability. Then it's no big deal. It's the same mm-hmm. as feedback. When you get feedback regularly, when you do conflict regularly, all of these things are just getting the reps in so that when you do them, it becomes no big deal. But when you avoid it, like you avoid conflict and you don't trust and all the other things, then ha- when you have to do it, it's so much worse. And then people, when you have conversations about it, people are like, already on guard they're already like are you serious after all that i do you're you're calling me <laughs> on this one little thing that i didn't meet expectations because again we haven't normalized it so And when we do it, we tend to ask the question in a very offensive way. We tend to go like, why isn't this done yet? You know, (laughs) Uh we don't ask something like, hey, I see that this is here. Can you let me know where things are at? Um, It looks like that was due, you know, a couple days ago. Like, was that expectation unclear? Did something happen that I'm unaware of? Like, you start it with questions to understand, and that person will actually be honest with you on where things are at if you've built the trust, if you know that this is part of how we do, and that's everyone's responsibility. Whereas if you're in this cycle of accountability equals a fight, then people will immediately want to throw someone else under the bus or mm-hmm. or talk about how it's not their fault or like we're just like perpetuating these unhealthy cycles. So yeah. I, I think yeah. that accountability becoming normalized has been one of the really key elements for us. It's just yeah it's just built
1: in. Yeah, and and we do that in a really like interesting way. So like you say, self accountability, and people are like, what does that mean? Like, how do I get my team to do that thing? And the and what we've actually uh, started doing in in the last year is have weekly crew meetings where everyone that's on a crew meets and shares their task management board. They show where their work status is at to their team in the call and are saying like, hey, everything's on track for this. This is late. I got approval from operations that it was approved to be late. So that's already done. We're we're good to go on that. It'll be done on time now that we've adjusted the date. Like there's just this like built-in rhythm so that when you have to hold yourself accountable to a mistake, it's a lot easier. So I think starting with low stakes reps of I'm going to hold myself accountable when I did it right. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm going to hold myself accountable when I did it wrong. And again, culture is top down. So we got to start with that. So we own mistakes. Often and it's absolutely intentional so that our team knows that this is the kind of place that you should talk about this. But it's really hard to start there. <laughs> it's, yeah. really, it's really hard to start at accountability for mistakes. So starting with accountability for successes is a really low stakes way to get that that shift to start for accountability.
0: Well, and I think that also builds trust for brand new team members when they mm-hmm. s- the, when they come in and see, oh, everyone holds themselves accountable. Oh, this is just normal here. This is how they do. Oh, this is what happens if you didn't meet an expectation. This is, this is what we do. No one's getting their hand slapped. We're just going to have an honest conversation about what happened and how you're going to ensure that doesn't happen again. And- then it doesn't have to be this whole big deal. So I I think when accountability is baked in, then everyone is on the same page and is committing to it. And then if we have to have conflict about it, it doesn't feel like this big fight. And it builds trust. So all of these things again just seem to connect (laughs) to one another somehow. It's like the person who wrote this, like did it on purpose with a lot of thought and intention. Like had a vision or something. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever. Um and and then that that last piece that I think it is is a little bit less like obvious. Like, I think mm-hmm. when people don't trust each other, like, that's obvious. I think when people don't fight or, or have some of that unhealth around conflict, it's pretty obvious. Um, I think an inattention to results is a little bit more vague. But I think it is that that last missing piece that if we don't actually pay attention to that the thing got done, (laughs) that we met the objective, that we accomplished what we set out to do. When we start to, when we act like, um, you know, oh, you made something. We didn't have anything before. So anything you made was just great. And there's really no like pursuit of excellence. There's no Mm. like clear definition of what done looks like so that we know if we got there and there's no expectation that we will be pursuing excellence so anything you did is better than nothing that we had before it's pretty demoralizing if you really think about it what you end up saying is the work you're doing doesn't really matter
1: mhm yeah yeah and i'm not going to develop you i'm not going to invest in you this is adequate so Let's move on. And it's like is who is it for? Who is this for? Like the results are for the outcomes for clients. They're for the team to have resources or whatever. But the feedback is for that person. The results, mm-hmm. like the input about like how to arrive at excellence, it's for them. And so if we're just going something's better than the nothing we had before, then that's just saying anything is fine. We don't actually care about how good it is. It exists now. Thank you so much. You've done excellent work. Or we're saying, this is probably the best you could do. Oh, So, <laughs> so yeah.
0: yeah, we can just call it here. Let me take it from here. The adults will handle it now. <laughs> you know, oh. duh, duh, you did your best. Good, good. That's oh, no. That's where you can just Stop here. There's something really demeaning about yes. not actually paying attention to the result that we want and being willing to do all the other things that get to a- an effective, you know, awesome
1: result in something. Well, and on the flip side, I think if you only care about results, you completely miss out on those development opportunities too, because it's not about, again, it's not about that other person, it's only about the result. And if it's only about the result, that person doesn't have any opportunity to grow. And so you're just giving feedback to arrive at the right result when you could just do it yourself. Like, <laughs> if if this is the foundation we're building off of, like why even have a team at all? Like, it right. doesn't sound worth it <laughs>
0: at all. Well, and when you yeah. do that, you, you end up kind of thinking that when, when you kind of grab the thing and go, thanks for that. You did your best. Let me actually make it good. Your mind is going, you know what, next time I'm just going to do this myself. Cause mm-hmm. it wasn't even worth trying to get any, it wasn't worth any amount of effort to get somebody else involved because I'm just going to get whatever at the end of it. It's like, but you didn't paint what you wanted. You didn't give the clarity for what doing it well would look like. You were unwilling to engage in any amount of feedback or disagreement or pushing back. And so of course we're going to end at whatever, and then you're only going to reinforce the idea that you should have just done it yourself. And so, yeah, why well, well, have a team? Just, uh, just solopreneur it up. Like, that's, you know, yeah. just, just fire everybody. The best way to have a team is just you. Team of one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is so lonely and slow sounding to do that. If, if you have a team... Or if that's what you want, you want sustainability, you want growth, you want, you know, collaboration, whatever it is, if, if team is part of that vision for you, the idea of going, you know what, it's just easier to do it myself sounds so sad to me. Because how many things in your life have not gone to plan the first time you tried them? If every time I tried to delegate something to someone, the first time it went wrong, I stopped doing it. I would not delegate anyone to anything. I have done every delegation poorly at some stage or another. And so like, if I always take back what doesn't work, I'm not going to have anything to delegate and I'm going to be responsible for everything. And that is so lonely and it's lonely to be, you know, at the top of a company, but it's way lonelier to be at the top of a company of one (laughs) and you're going to lean heavier on your partner or on, you know, your family or on your friends or on your networking community or whatever for you to, Keep being okay. And that's fine if that works for you and that works for them. But it gets really lonely and it gets really hard to keep wanting to persist toward building something great if you're doing that all solo. And if if the reason for you doing that solo is because that's what you want, good. Do, Do you. That. Do you. And if the reason you're doing that is because it sounds easier than building a team, it's it's not it won't be and it won't be more enjoyable. It will probably be less hard in some ways, but it will also be harder in others.
0: Well, it means you're going to do everything. It means that yes. both the things you love doing and are good at doing and the things you hate doing and are probably <laughs> bad at doing and you probably hate them because you're bad at doing them. You're going to do all of them because you have you don't have a team to do them. But I think the biggest thing you miss out on in in Not building a team or in building a really ineffectual team is the personal growth and development that you could have by having people around you that know you and trust you and are invested in you to speak into the areas where you could grow and develop. To notice that you did, to be cheering Mm. you on, like to get Mm. ideas I didn't have, I wouldn't have come up with, to get other voices in the room that have different perspectives to actually get us so much farther and to be a company that is so much better and more effective than I ever could have made it on my own. I would have been Anna Ready Bookkeeping with chalkboard flowered... Business card. So cute. And my catchphrase would still be I could totally help with that um, if I was left to my own devices. But bringing in smart, like capable, hardworking, lovely people who we've built trust with who were willing to run towards the fire, engage in that conflict to get to a good end result, who were willing to hold accountable, who were willing to say, hey, this isn't what I had in mind. Here's what I'm actually looking for. Like, let's get this to where it's done. And, you know, people that I'm willing to say, hey, we're all on board. Let's get this done together. Man, that is so much more fun and fulfilling and meaningful, but it's so easy to build a dysfunctional team on accident. Like, mm. all of these things are so easy to fall into. I have been guilty of so many, if not all, probably all, Same. if I'm being all. honest. <laughs> all. Yeah. It's so easy without even being aware of it. And so I think the first the first step in this is becoming aware of what isn't working, of what does, like, culminate together to make you feel like you are in quicksand. And then to get out of that and move in the direction of of having and building a healthy collaborative team, that does not just happen on accident. It -hmm. is hard work. It requires effort and intention. It requires you to grow as a person, being willing to admit when you're wrong, being willing to admit you don't know everything, being willing to say, I need help with this but in the end, it is so worth it.
1: Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.